welcome to the OT Podcast Club podcast. These are edited highlights of a conversation we had inspired by the Lifestyle by Design podcast episode featuring host Karen Jacobs talking to Dr. Rebecca Twinley about her new book, Illuminating the Dark Side of Occupation. I can start maybe by saying that since I joined kind of OT, the OT Twitter sphere, I've been seeing lots about the dark side of occupation and Rebecca Twinley, and I hadn't known of her or her work before that. But at the same time, while I kind of did a bit of initial research into it on on her website and things, I'd never actually gone further than that. So then when this was a suggested topic last time, I kind of jumped at it like, oh, this is something I kind of had wanted to, to learn more about. And then, yeah, I haven't been disappointed in that regard. The big distinction that I was waiting for and how it's not to be used as a noun, right? Mm. Not a dark occupation, but as a way of describing this maybe way of viewing occupations rather than a kind of judgment call on an occupation, which I was happy when I heard that because that was maybe one of my initial like critiques or questions that I had about it. I hear that done so often. Mm. People, people saying dark occupations and it just makes me go, oh, that's not the point. Yeah. Like it almost feels like you've missed the point completely if you're saying it like that. Yeah. But I think it is used incorrectly often. And some of that is by people themselves that refer to their own occupations in that way, which I still have some issues with. I'm not saying I think it's great. Um, Yeah, because I'm not sure what you'd call it as something else either. Because the first time I heard it, I thought, what well, as in dark as in these occupations are bad and it wasn't until I looked into it a bit more that I was like oh okay so occupations that we don't talk about very much they've not had any light thrown on them now I get it but I'm, I was trying to think of something else that you could call them and everything I kind of thought of also had that kind of negative connotation around it. I guess it is a bit of a contradiction isn't it because they haven't been looked at because they're perceived as negative occupations, maybe. So it's sort of almost inherent in, within them. But I think it really does compound the error by then labelling them that, as that. I mean, from my point of view, it's, you know, I think I've tried to be really clear in the book and, you know, I've had, you know, lots of people inadvertently accusing me of racism and all that kind of stuff. But... There's always a but because I also think, like I say, like we interpret things differently and sometimes it, it has its use. And yeah, like for Clarissa, she she completely saw that in her area of practice, but it came from the people that they were working with. And also, I think, you know, someone said to me, is it such a bad thing that it does cause that kind of rift, really? And that discussion, because a it makes people aware of their own kind of bias and prejudice and and it makes people aware that other people can be and and not that that's OK, but other people can be like, I'm sorry, but we do probably work with people who are racist, either very overtly or or perhaps don't intend to be, but actually they are racist and it comes through in some of the things they, they do or say or, or just the way they might think even. I mean, that's only talking about racism, but it also is mostly it's just a challenge to people who are happy to stay with flowers and cotton wool and rainbows and berries in life and not think about occupations that aren't about all of that. <laughs> Um, but I used to work in an eating disorder service where we ran a group called Occupation Matters 
And it was a 12-week group where each week we talk about a different topic from mainly occupational science. Um, and we really taught it to our patients as, you know, this is information that will help you to be your own occupational therapist. Um, and so one of the topics that we discussed, I think it was the second week in our group program was the dark side of occupation. And so we had a whole hour dedicated to that topic and we gave them Bex's article to read and we just basically had a discussion um, in our session. Um, and I, when I first presented it to the patients, I thought they would be like, oh my God, this is amazing. And do you know what? They weren't. Um, they were just like, yeah, and? And I was like, this is groundbreaking. This is controversial. They were like, no, that's just basic. Like, like how I felt about it. <laughs> Sorry, Bex. But they were just like, this, this is just our life. It's obvious. <laughs> yeah, they were like, uh, why, why is this such a big deal? Like, obviously we don't tell people the stuff, but it's real. And like, we wouldn't do it if it didn't have meaning for us. So why is this so hard to get? And it, it really made me think that I think when we come at it from the outside as occupational therapists, it can seem like there is a dark side to occupation. But when you get into that dark side, people are just like, yeah, this is my community or this is my life. Why don't you understand me? And even kind of being part of queer communities, it seems the same where, from the outside, people are like, what? Why do people do X, Y, Z? And then um, when you're in the community, it, you know, it's it's kind of natural and normal. Um, so, yeah, it was that really opened my eyes, um, seeing patients just shrug when they heard about it. But even though they were kind of quite relaxed about it in the beginning, um, what I noticed was they all started to use the terminology so they would just talk about the dark side of occupation or they'd say, oh, um, is it okay with everyone if I talk about the dark side of occupation? Is that going to be triggering for anyone? You know, just during random groups. So, yeah, it just became something that was really embedded in our service and how the patients communicated. Um, what you said about the queer community and that, uh, that overlap there, and I think there was something that Beck said in the Lifestyle by Design podcast about conflict between like values and personal values professional values and the values of the person that you're working with and that conflict and how that kind of crosses over with, with kind of queer perspectives as well and and that thinking of sometimes things might not align but that's okay and that's what I heard mm. listening to that and also similarly about um, therapist dif discomfort and therapist lack of understanding as a barrier to engagement you know we've spoke about you know gender and sexuality and we've spoke about um, therapists discomfort in in broaching those kind of topics and it's the same with the dark side of occupation isn't it you know and we need to take ownership for some of that as well because it's part of people's life it's meaningful. Yeah I think following from what Kate said before you know it's that uh, questioning like why has that this not been addressed why don't we address it it individual comfort level I know it is a thing I know that is a thing and particularly when you you know with all intentions to want to address whatever you want to call it the dark side of occupation or people's engagement and things that aren't necessarily you know that great for them you you have to have a certain level of not just comfort with with going there but um, I think to me this is about being as authentic as we can be and allowing the people we talk with to to be the same as well you know and that's what I found in you know I mean my my PhD was hardcore stuff in terms of 
as soon as any of these women mentioned that they were raped by another woman to people, healthcare professionals, therapists, and that was met with almost like similar responses, like how can that happen kind of thing. That's it. That's enough for them to think, I'm not telling anyone else about this. I can't tell anyone else. So you can imagine, you know, translating that to scenarios where even somebody that you're working with wants to, you know, say, I don't know, just something like, oh, I think I, I'm drinking a bit too much. I have this much each night. If that's met with even a, a certain look on, on somebody's face, that's it, you know, game over. They're not going to disclose any more with you. You know, mm-hmm. the whole thing about therapeutic relationship that's going to be hard to to build from there, isn't it? If if the reaction is one of okay, I, you know, I'm not kind of quite willing to go there, or I don't feel able to go there, and I think I think that's now where the work needs to be done, and I think this is what needs to happen. Like we need to get real. We need to understand that what we see and what we talk about with people isn't the whole of them. And Absolutely. if we profess to be a holistic profession, let's be holistic. Exactly that. I was talking in a different context earlier about um, performative allyship. So I was talking about in the context of race, but that's almost what occupational therapy is doing as a profession, isn't it? Um, we're performatively holistic, but not necessarily actually holistic. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think with that, uh, I really, really think a big part of it is education. We have to, yeah, it starts, it does start with the education of our occupational therapy colleagues and you know the future occupational therapy workforce and everything so we've got to we've got to get it right there you know there's got to be curriculum changes and I guess there's you know there's that's starting to happen but I think it needs to happen faster than it is. I would agree I think that obviously as I said where my area of interest lies tends to be a lot in terms of gender and sexuality and I think it's you know pretty now there's conversations starting to happen finally in the last few years about like the blind spots of our profession and the occupation what we deem to be kind of occupations that we discuss and then the ones that we just turn a complete blind eye to so sex being one of them in a in a lot of services i can't i can't speak for everyone's and and even just contextually here in ireland it is i think the case and i think that yeah the the answer i think what you were saying about like positionality is the word that comes to my mind about where okay if you are by virtue of your own uh, experiences and environments and social circles and things like that you might happen to know a lot about a topic so in my case personally it was by being a member of the LGBT community that I kind of got interested in it professionally then because I started to see this gap in professional life and in OT services I worked in um but then equally yeah I can't necessarily necessarily blame a colleague of mine if they don't have access maybe to those circles or to those knowledge because it wasn't actually included in their OT curriculum also so then it's kind of that piece of that's where it has to start so that OTs are at least aware that this stuff should be on our um, peripheries and so we should be including this in a kind of our in our view so that then I think it can be kind of a, a balanced conversation and people might feel a bit more comfortable then in their actual to bring these things into conversations you know to ask people about their sex lives in initial interviews or to at least make it a, a safe space as we talked about before here um, for those kind of conversations to happen but if there's therapist discomfort around that that's going to be incredibly obvious I think to client or the service user who will then probably feel 
10 times more uncomfortable, I think. And I think the same, that's in a, maybe a, a sexuality context, but I think you can apply the same to a lot of the things that you focus on in your work, that it's whether it's drug use or crime or whatever it is, addictions of various sorts, that if there's this therapist discomfort around kind of getting into it with the client rather than just saying, acknowledging it and then trying to move on or trying to plan for the future or trying to supplement those occupations. I think what has helped me with with reading some of, of the dark side of occupation work is to help get more into it with the client, like stand there with the client when they are in whatever situation they are um, and understand all the different meanings and values and things that it offers them rather than just kind of trying to skim over it or, or move on from it too quickly maybe and i think that aspect about not skimming over it is really crucial mm. when i'm listening to some of this thoughts about therapist discomfort one of the things it's reminding me is that when i worked in practice i worked with psychosis and people with voice hearing and if you would sometimes have someone with you for the day and you'd be going out and you'd see someone and you'd be talking about someone's experience of voice hearing. I remember one person going, wow, I never knew you could keep asking the questions that you could say, tell me more about your voices and tell me more about this and tell me more about that. And I think that sense of professional curiosity and empathic interestedness in someone's experience of their life is actually what we need to do because that's almost how it helps you get past discomfort just going actually I'm interested in you and what your experience is of this occupation and what is its meaning like in your life but you have to ask because otherwise you've got an elephant in the room and the patient can't be the elephant in the room because the patient's the reason you're in the room I wonder though if there's something that needs acknowledging that it's it's a nice idea that we're all perfectly comfortable in talking about everything and that you know training would reach an ideal world where we've covered every topic that could possibly come up and we've all talked about it so much that we're like you know bring it on but that's not very realistic and is there an extent to which actually some another aspect of it that would be helpful to learn is how to react to something that's genuinely shocking you know someone at some point in our life is going to tell us something completely unexpected out of the blue that is something we've never imagined and actually what to do in that situation you know how to kind of keep your professional head on and go oh well I've never heard of that before um it's a new one on me tell me more about that because you know we I think maybe in psychosis we do that quite a lot and it is something that we're quite good at but that's probably something that I've learned over time working in my roles and probably wasn't mentioned at university and that maybe that is quite an important bit of it rather than just going yes we're all going to be happy talking about absolutely everything because you know we're not and actually social the social world we live in isn't and if we pretend that we can all be happy talking about absolutely everything the people we're talking to aren't going to be you know if we sort of stride in there going hey tell me everything about your sex life to someone who's just like oh my god no I just came because I broke my hip please stop (laughs) I agree with you, but I think I think it's more about yeah fostering that core set of skills around kind of professional curiosity, as Ruth, as you said, and about just an awareness, I guess, and an openness to those kind of things, um, to those kind of things that 
yeah, and to maybe try and have ways, as you said, Kate, of parking maybe your own value systems or your own experiences and being a bit more open to other people's based on their experiences, which, you know, you would hope most people do as therapists, but I don't know if it's always so deliberately or explicitly acknowledged or advised, maybe. There's that question of, do we notice if we're not? Mm. You know, how do you pick up on your own blind spot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think you need to be able to have that openness within your own team as well because other people within the team may spot stuff that you haven't but equally if you do find something and you are you do feel like you're comfortable talking about it and you go in at that depth and you get part way through and you think actually this is affecting me a lot more than I thought it would you need to be able to have somebody to reflect with after that within your team that's going to support you and make sure that you're okay at the other end of it as well because that will strengthen you for talking to people in the future yeah yeah and I think you know when we talk about level of comfort in my mind the concept is not about all about the extreme it started off being um about violence and violent occupations because of where I was at the point um when I was having those conversations the reading that I was doing so it was born out really of those kinds of conversations but but really like in in my mind it's always been about lots of things that we can do on a daily basis that have not really been explored that much or even things that you know we tend to hide but it's about you know being prepared in terms of if somebody discloses something then how do you react to that because I do think that's something that's missing from training really in the sense of you know trauma is well trauma is massive and how we react to different kind of um, symptoms of trauma, disclosures related to trauma. I, you know, I, I kind of, I think that's where also there needs to be some work done and preparation for, for our students as well. Um, but having conversations, I mean, I, I don't know, I just keep always thinking about this relationship, like with whatever healthcare professional as soon as something pretty minor really is is said that's what sets the tone for the rest of that interview or the rest of that session or whatever so if I'm with an occupational therapist and I mention something that I think is pretty minor in terms of something I do that isn't necessarily healthy if their reaction is one of I think I see or perceive to be one of you know either not agreeing with it or they just don't really seem like they want to explore that more that much more with me then I'm certainly not going to go into more of the things you know that really occupy my time and that I really enjoy doing that really might be seen as a bit you know whatever dodgy or something with other people but yeah but also the dark I think the dark side of occupation is I think we all do things that we might not be telling everybody else about or we might not even be aware that they necessarily fall into that kind of way of thinking about occupation but it's I mean we're all humans and we as I said you know I'm going to go back to we don't all live in a fluffy cloudy rainbow world you know like the care bears (laughs) (laughs) we don't (laughs) I don't think we do I mean I I don't know (laughs) I don't (laughs) I feel like a lot of it also comes from life outside of work, at least for me. Um, I think a lot of 
what I've learned about how to react to people telling me something I didn't expect is about having people in my life who are different to me and having conversations where it's okay to be curious and to ask questions. And I think that's made me more confident in work to go, oh, okay, so you used to do this thing. I don't know what that is. Tell me more. Um, and for that to feel okay. It's like the exact opposite of what you told as a child, isn't it? <laughs> Keep asking. Yeah. Stop being so nosy. Stop asking questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And for me, when I was in practice, I loved that term professional curiosity because it kind of validated that that was a good route to go, that you are interested in what, as somebody talked about this before, what about this aspect of their lives? What about that, actually? And those are the things that in friendships that we value as well. I absolutely agree. Like outside of work, it's about it's about being authentic, I think, some of it. I think sometimes we it's like misjudge that professionalism is about having a po face and a poker face and being completely robotic almost. And I don't think it is. I think professional has to about being authentically who you are and bringing yourself into that interaction and bringing humanity and response human responses into an interaction that mm. I don't think we should be completely unshockable or immovable or untouchable or any of those things because that doesn't feel very human and I think also that being able to go yeah I got that wrong or I I, I don't know that or sorry I used the wrong pronoun or you know yeah I've, I've messed up um tell me how you want me to do things differently that's probably in my forensic work been the most useful way of exploring the dark side of occupation um I was talking to Bex earlier about some graffiti work that I did and I I talked to someone about graffiti and I, I completely messed up you know he said the only thing I want to do is graffiti and I was like oh I saw this really cool um image the other day of like I don't know a dragon or something and he just rolled his eyes and I was like, hang on, I've said something wrong. What is it? Help me. And then he explained that what he meant by graffiti was that there's no pictures and it has to be words. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Please explain. And that started a conversation and, you know, a really long and deep piece of work. But had I gone, you know, had I just dismissed that experience, I think we would never have talked about graffiti again. I think it kind of comes down to the idea of respect, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. By asking questions, we're kind of showing that we have an interest and we have a value in what we can learn from them as well. I know that sounds and seems like a really basic thing, but I think that's what it sounds like when you talk about it. It's purely you. There was back and forth. It wasn't just you giving them something. They were able to give you something and it was a partnership and that's how you build up that relationship, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And I think respect is a really good word to pick up on because I think some of the dark side of occupation is about the things that we have disrespected or ignored and not looked at enough. It's not necessarily about which occupations it is. It's about how much attention we've given to them. And giving attention to something is respectful in and of itself almost, isn't it? I also think that nothing nothing's black and white is it and um even if you were grouping things in a sort of these are occupations that are bad for your health you know and we don't talk about occupations that are bad for your health i kind of in my over analyzing little mind 
there probably aren't that many that are purely good for your health or purely bad for your health. Everything comes with some upsides and some downsides. And like you could say, smoking is probably a terrible example because the downsides massively outweigh the upsides. But there's a social side to smoking. There's a benefit in relieving anxiety. There are positive benefits to it. Otherwise, no one would do it. So if we're looking at health in such a limited way as in sort of your physical health and the medical model, then yeah, you could split them possibly possibly into binary. Even there, I'd probably find a way of not doing it. But if we're actually doing our job properly and being holistic and looking at all the aspects, nothing's going to be either good or bad. But I think that is the thing that actually, like nothing in life ever is. And that use of binary, often things that we try and split binary-ly, that's not a word, but it doesn't really work, does it? Because there isn't generally a one thing and another, there's generally a spectrum of experience in the midst of that. And I think that for me, one of the brilliant aspects of it as a concept is that it does give a framework within which to look at what are the different aspects of this occupational experience which bits do we talk about more and which bits don't we talk about yeah there was saying about those two sides to kind of there was that understanding why somebody does something what what are they gaining from it what are the benefits that they're gaining from it was kind of one side and then the other side that seemed to come out of it was what is it about their life at the moment which feels so bad that actually doing something which has a negative impact on their health feels better. So, for example, self-harm or something like that, because that obviously, for them, that is at that moment in time is preferable to whatever emotional or other thing they are dealing with. So it's kind of those two elements that you need to consider. There was, um, in the Occupied podcast, I liked the kind of discussion around the relativity of risk. And I guess I think we, in that context, we was talked about in terms of skydiving, right? Brock was saying about his friend who, that he deemed that like a really risky and kind of dangerous thing to do, but someone else might not, you know? And I think that got me thinking a lot of kind of how contextual risk is, you know, and how relative it is also. It's obviously someone's like circumstances, experiences in life, social environments. And there was one of my lectures during my master's did a lot of research into people's healthy volunteers participation in like medical trials and things like that and their perceptions of risk and how from the outset it looked like they were taking a huge amount of risk sometimes by participating I think particularly in the the highly paid medical trials which are the ones that carry more risk right and I was really reminded of that thinking of this whole whole concept of the dark side of occupation and that with that I think in her research Marcy Cottingham was her name she found that yeah most people who are actually participating in the trial like yeah was were aware of the risks and acknowledged the risks but actually often came from let's say yeah quite disadvantaged backgrounds themselves I think they were predominantly non-white in the American context so had greater social obstacles I would say in terms of employment and income levels and they perceived the risk of participating in the medical trials as less than the risks of other things that they might have to face in their life, you know, and of other people in their like social circles who had gone into probably maybe even riskier than uh, ways to earn income, whether that was through drugs or through crime or through sex work, through like any given 
with our amount of things that we might consider to be kind of the darker side of occupation. And for me, that point was huge then that like what we would deem as a, uh, like a risky thing, like participating in a medical trial can then seem not risky at all, depending on your context. Yeah, and sometimes what you've got to lose. I know just from a personal point of view, before I had kids, I went bungee jumping, skydiving, all sorts of stuff like that. Now the risk hasn't altered. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do it now I've got kids. I've heard a lot of people say that. My sister is the same. I quite liked that bit you said at the start of it, Niall, about it being a relative risk. Mm -hmm. that I think relative is often a good word for us I often think in terms of finances that you know what is a lot of money to some people is buttons to others Um, so I think understanding that context of where somebody has always been surrounded by and understanding in their world this amount of risk is like this much or this much or I think that's a really nice framework for thinking about it Mm -hmm. And again, for being in it with the person, I think, you know, and being yeah. able to like really understand that then and maybe really understand why certain suggestions you're making or certain goals that you're kind of trying to set with them aren't working, you know, is maybe you haven't fully gotten into it to really understand it in the first place. And I can totally like hold my hands up and recognize several times that I probably have done that with clients, you know, and I think with supervision and with reflection I have probably seen that then that maybe I was too anxious to jump towards a solution or to try work through it rather than just kind of wade in the murkiness and uncertainty of it you know. I think some stuff I did with the student once really highlighted to me how drugs can be a really good example of that social context and its influence of your understanding and judgment of of certain activities because you know, it made me really think about that that chain of sort of, I come from a very nice, quiet, middle-class upbringing where my vice is food because there wasn't really any other option. You know, some people drank, but it wasn't that easy to get because it was a village and you can't get out of it. And But then, you know, there are people who grow up somewhere where everyone drinks, everyone goes to the pub every night, and then that kind of is their norm and it can go a bit wrong but they would view someone taking drugs as bad. But then a lot a lot of the people I work with live in a world where cannabis is the norm. Everyone smokes. It's, that's just how you chill out. And for them, again, some of them it goes a bit wrong, but they would view harder drugs as, as bad. And then, um, you know, there are definitely populations where a bit of, a bit of speed at the weekend is the norm but heroin's bad or crack's bad, you know, and, and actually that social context that you live in really defines which drugs you see as kind of okay. You know, we know they're illegal, but they're not really illegal. And which drugs do you think of as, why would someone do that? That's so disgraceful. I've heard that comment before, not related to drugs, but just kind of that, that relational thing. And that the, a comment that we sometimes get is, well, I didn't kill anyone good however <laughs> it's a low bar that's what we did do i think i mean all of this is is in part about making choices about the things that we do being aware of of um how others might perceive that choice or how others might judge judge that choice and it's and and i think in a lot of the things we do every day there's elements of risk isn't there like um i like to run in the mornings now it's darker in the morning um, you know, in my mind, it feels riskier to go running at the same time that I like to run because it's darker, for instance. 
but then I you know there are things that we choose to do I think I think sometimes we choose to do things because we know that it's not necessarily the done thing at that time or we know it goes against the grain as it were to do that things and I yeah I just I don't know I think I love that though I love that about us how some of the sometimes we decide to do things because we know it's something that not everyone else would decide to do as well and that's what makes it complex us complex I think that's one of the things that does anyway and what makes it endlessly fascinating to work with people because you never know someone else's perspective yeah absolutely yeah thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed our chat check out Dr Twinley's book for more about the dark side of occupation next time we will be listening to the OT After Dark episode 6.9 Getting Explicit with Kate Burke